Whether you call Bris Vegas home or are planning a trip to the River City, this is the podcast that will help you plan the ultimate bluey day out. <laughs> the best of Brisbane for real life. This is Bluey's Brisbane with Justin and Lou. G'day everyone, Justin here and a bit of a treat on the podcast today, a very special chat with Tim Stewart from the iconic Brisbane band Scream Feeder. In the mid-90s, there was an explosion of bands coming out of Brisbane and gaining attention both nationally and internationally. Now, there were four bands in particular who put the Brisbane music scene on the map in that era. Of course, as Bluey fans, you'll know all about Dave McCormack, aka Bandit Healer, and his group Custard. But the other three bands were all incredibly diverse, with Powderfinger, Regurgitator and Screamfeeder all finding national audiences during this time. Now, in 1996, three-piece Screamfeeder, who'd already had three albums under their belt by then, found themselves on high rotation on Triple J, the national youth radio station, with the singles Dart and Static, taken from their fourth record, Kitten Licks. Now, when they weren't touring, Screamfeeder based themselves out of Brisbane's inner northwest, Paddington, Milton, Red Hill and Barden, the same suburbs that Bluey is now showing off to the world. And just over 30 years after they got going, Scream Feeder are still playing live and releasing records. In fact, they've just finished up touring with the Spring Loaded Festival and in May will be releasing their latest album, Five Rooms. To celebrate the new album, I sat down with Scream Feeder frontman Tim Stewart in the same place the Healers enjoyed coffee in the episode Promises to chat about the band's history, the Brisbane scene and the new record, Five Rooms. I don't know where to start, and I'm pretty excited <laughs> to be uh, to be interviewing Tim Stewart from the iconic Brisbane band Scream Feeder. Um, and talk about iconic Brisbane band! What a location for an iconic Brisbane band on the deck at the Ashgrove uh, <laughs> yeah. Library with the beautiful Queenslanders yeah, in the background. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Thanks for having a chat, Tim. No problems. Well, look, um, you guys have been well. You've been trying to celebrate 30 years for the last year or so, and it's been yes. kind of chaotic. Um, 30 years, like. That's such a, just a bit of a trip out, like 30 years. Did you think 30 years ago when you started Scream Feeder <laughs> that you'd still be at this, you know, 30 years later? No, I definitely didn't. I mean, I was, I started my band in 1987. So that's actually 34 years ago now, which is crazy. I guess just at that age, you were only in the moment and it, the, the thought of doing anything, even in five years was quite a stretch, yeah. You, you moved down from Townsville, didn't you? Yeah, we moved. We started the bands in 1987 in Townsville and moved down to Brizzy in late 89. What was that like moving to Brisbane at that time? Because you had the Fitzgerald Inquiry, you had all the police and the political corruption. Was it a bit of a wild time? Uh, look, honestly, we didn't really pay too much attention to that stuff. We were all caught up in our stuff. So we were all about, you know, trying to find gigs and doing the right thing for the band and... We were aware of this stuff that was going on, but the media back then was very narrow. Like it was really, you had to be tuned into the TV news or the newspapers. So it was easy to just be oblivious to it, actually. What was the music scene in Brisbane like, um, you know, in those early days of the band? Um, Because I guess in the mid-90s, we had the big Brisbane music explosion, um, you know, where you guys and bands like Custard and Powderfinger, Regurgitator really took off. What was it like in the early 90s as you 
first started out? Well, we started touring to Brizzy in about 1988 from Townsville. We made a couple of trips and we were really welcomed by the sort of punk scene at the time. And uh, so we sort of fell in with that crowd and we were doing boat cruise gigs and party gigs just in the punk scene. So that was really our first experience. And it, it was sort of different from how we found Brisbane when we moved here because that was the very sort of beginning of what we'd call the indie rock explosion. There was a different new generation of bands and it was all starting to bubble up. It's pre-Nirvana, obviously, mm. but you could feel that there was something different going on. Take us back to the mid-90s when, you know, Brisbane music really started taking off. You know, was it something in the water? Because I just remember, I'm probably just that little bit younger than you. I was in, in university in the mid-90s mm. and it was a really exciting time. Like I remember seeing all you guys on the way up. Um, you know, I remember seeing Regurgitator at O-Week playing in the car right. park at UQ yeah. because it was too wet to play in the Grand Court. You know, seeing you guys play in venues like the zoo and um, I think I saw Powderfinger at the Roxy playing to about 10 people. Wow. What, what, what was that? period like just before everything kind of blew up it was like you know it strikes me as being very naive in a good way like in all the right ways it was very just innocent and it didn't seem forced or it didn't seem like any of the bands were being overly careerist or you know ruthlessly ambitious everyone was just having fun and there was lots of um there was a there was just such an energy in the air for that kind of music at the time with the whole Nirvana thing and the whole way that music sort of pushed itself through a revolution in the early 90s. And um, it just felt like it was open season, you could do anything and people were so hungry for it and it was, it was a big celebration really. Did you find that like the scene in Brisbane was really collaborative? Because when I sort of think about, you know, those big four bands you included, all quite different. Was the scene sort of really collaborative across all the, the different sort of genres of music? Because you talked about punk rock. Mm. I, I wouldn't have sort of associated yeah. Scream Feeder with punk rock because I think sort of classic sort of indie rock yeah. when I listen to your music. Uh, it's a very difficult question, but there's, there's sort of two answers. One is that Triple Z um, were really powerful in in bringing all the genres together. So they'd put on gigs or festivals where, you know, you'd have a ska band and an indie rock band and a reggae band and a punk band and a metal band mm. and it would just work. And it wasn't that sort of codified. All the genres weren't separated out so much. So in that way, it was very good. I guess it was the, the size of the city and the size of the scene meant that, that that happened naturally. But the other side was that, you know, bands like us and Powderfinger and Regurgitator and custard by the time we started touring a lot we were so busy that we never saw each other you know we only ever crossed paths if we we're out in sydney or adelaide one night for example mm. and so it wasn't like this big gang of bands who were you know moving along together we were all doing our separate thing and it was so funny because like even even a band like custard you know dave and stuff we barely knew them because we, we were always busy going on tour and they, so were they you know <laughs> yeah um, was there a reason for staying in Brisbane? Because I remember probably the late 80s, early 90s, a lot of the, the Brisbane bands moved to Sydney. Yeah, that was kind of the right. thing. You, you got big enough to yes. be able to move to yeah. Sydney. Was there a, 
something you can put your finger on um, that meant you know bands could stay in Brisbane? Was it sort of Triple J going national? Uh, something I like guess that? that definitely had a part of it for sure. Also. Because Tony, our drummer, was a songwriter. He had a job in Brisbane. We had girlfriends. We were all living together. Uh, Kelly was, I think she'd finished uni, but, you know, we all had stuff going on in Brisbane. So we kind of went, fuck it, we're not going to move. We're just going to stay and we're going to tour from Brisbane because we can. And after we'd been doing that for six months, we realised that every time we went to Sydney and Melbourne, the press or the you know the radio or the street press or whatever would be from brisbane screen feeder and it was a thing we're like oh my god (laughs) we've actually made it better for ourselves having not moved and it became a thing and then bands like fur and midget and all these other bands bard started touring and they it was like a brisbane there was a definitely especially in sydney there was a thing about brisbane bands like oh another brisbane band's coming on tour When I think about Scream Feeder, for some reason I think about inner city old school suburbs like Paddington and, and Barden Definitely. and Red Hill. Yeah. Was that the, the part of town you yeah, frequented? Yeah, we were living in Milton on Hewsler Terrace for quite a few years in the early, very early 90s. And we were all just shit housing around that whole Paddington area basically. And when we got Dean in the band, he was in, uh, oh, what's the name of the street now? Charlotte Street in Paddington. And so it was a cheap neighborhood and great for the city like you could walk to and from your venues if you were drunk or whatever so and <laughs> uh, yeah it's a lovely lovely part of brizzy at that point for sure now it's interesting you just mentioned charlotte street because um airbnb just recreated i know you're not in the demographic for bluey but they recreated the bluey queenslander oh, wow. house in charlotte oh, street my God, really um <laughs> and I mean, Paddington's changed so much since, yeah. you know, I was in uni and it was the student accommodation, yeah. it was the cheap part of town. I mean, now it's just so elite, like the, the houses are beautiful, but do you think it's, um, it's a shame something. that it's changed? I do, you know, like you drive down Charlotte Street and all the houses are like, you know, they've really extended out to the street and they look all fancy and you kind of like, this neighbourhood used to have an actual charm, which was what it was about and the small workers' cottages and all that stuff. And even the shops on the main drag, like now they're all homeware shops (laughs) and they used to be like anything goes like there's junk shops and stuff like that up there and it was it was quite interesting one of the things i loved about brizzy pants in the 90s was um the real i guess diy ethos Uh um i guess you really just had to do it yourself and if you look at a lot of the music videos from the period you can tell bands have done them on the cheap yeah but it was almost like they were kind of documenting brisbane i mean your video for high seas shot outside the the barton 7-eleven Whose idea was to do this one take video um, outside of this, um, you know, 7-Eleven store in Baden? To this day, Kelly thinks it was her idea. Right. But I think it was my idea. Your idea? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, nevertheless, we came up with it between us and we, I love the idea of a one take clip, like no edits. So we just called up a bunch of our friends and said, we're doing this at two o'clock on Saturday afternoon, come and be in it. And they all came. And uh, we had a great time. Like I've actually got the rough, uh, well, I've actually got the whole reel of tape with both takes we did on it. I think I've put so it on it's YouTube, just two, actually. two takes? Yeah, we just did two takes. And so the other takes on YouTube as well. And yeah, it was fun and cool and just silly and no pressure. That's almost like the punk 
ethos, isn't it? Like just even recording-wise, just you know, yeah. bang it out and Definitely. it's done. Yeah. I was reading about um, Huskadoo's album Zen Arcade the other day, and they did it in one 40-hour session, this double album of like 20-odd tracks, and only one song they did more than one takeoff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do you think being from Brisbane sort of influenced your sound or, or was that um, mostly from bands you were into? Or That's a tough one because for me, I really, especially in the 80s when I formed the band, I was very much like going on the basic punk model, you know, the rudimentary sort of UK punk or the American like mid-80s kind of model. So not really, but, you know, as time goes on, I can definitely hear more of a what you might call a brizzy sound in the screen feeder records like for example take you apart it's a very much a cleaner album very simple songs straight tuning and you know it's i guess you know if you talk about brisbane sound you've always got a niche in the go-betweens and their, yeah, their yeah. sort of approach yeah. and you know there's echoes of that i can hear it in that album for example much like the go-betweens who you know they lived in london and mm. that you know i think um 16 Lovers Lane was recorded in Sydney. Like most of your albums have been not recorded in Brisbane. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You've got the new album, Five Rooms, coming out in yeah. May. Yeah. Um, now, you recorded that up at Airlock yeah. uh, at Camp Mountain, owned by um, Ian Hogg from Powderfinger. What was that experience like, actually recording in Brisbane? Was it different to, you know, setting up shop in Sydney and, and recording an album there? Uh, it was a tiny bit different, but honestly, um, we were in lockdown, which was in our favour because Kelly and I, especially before the record, we were like, we really love going away somewhere and being in a bubble for two weeks and not having the distractions of home and being able to just concentrate on it all the time. And we were like, well, we've kind of got a record in Brisbane because, you know, Kelly's got a job and Derek and Dean had jobs and whatever. So but we'll try and form that bubble around us. And then we were in lockdown and so it actually helped heaps. And it, it, that fortnight up there felt like we were out of town. So you literally just stayed um, up there, did you? Uh, we all stayed different amounts. Derek stayed a little, Dean didn't stay. I stayed quite a bit and Kelly stayed mostly the whole time. It worked pretty good, yeah. What can people expect from the new album? Like, I've heard the new single, sounds great. Thank you. Would it be new sounds, new influences, well, or would it be classic sort of scream feeder? It's what? funny, because our last album was done in Brisbane at Derek's old studio, and because it was his studio, we were able to spend a lot more time on it and really, really fine-tune it. And then we sent the mixes off to some American dudes to do, and it came up really great, but really, for us, quite polished. and. Um, a little more high-end than most of our other albums, audio-wise. And this album's totally the opposite. Like, you know, whenever we go away somewhere for a fortnight, we're basically crossing our fingers that the studio sounds okay and we're gonna have decent gear and know how to use it and make the, the album sound good. So this is a classic example of that where, you know, I came home and I was like, shit, the, the drums aren't very bright. And we didn't even realize during rehe- uh, recording that the snare drum's sitting in this pocket of dullness in the room and it's super dull and we had mm. to tell all the mix engineers oh you're going to have to crank the top end of the snare things like that and uh, the other thing about the whole bubble concept is that you're right in the moment you haven't got any time to fart around and spend three hours trying to come up with a guitar part it's now or never you know yeah, yeah, you've got to yeah. move on someone's waiting to record their part yeah. so there's that that element is really apparent like both sound wise and parts wise it's very on the fly and very 
it captures something that we couldn't have captured otherwise. Was that how you recorded albums in the past? Definitely. So like Kit and Lex were down at a studio in Byron, Philly Self Music were in Sydney and all the other albums actually. And it was really like, yeah, you're there at that moment and the sound and the part, that's what's going to be on the record. There's no two ways around it. So yeah, the new album, Five Rooms, it's really for us uh, another push towards Kelly. Like it's kind of in the way the Rocks on Soul was, it's a bit more of a Kelly album. We've each got, I think I've got seven and she's got six on there, something like that. So we alternate song for song throughout the record. And um, really our writing styles um, are very apparent, like my songs and my typical kind of very tidy pop-ish songs and hers are definitely more the stream of consciousness, um, jigsaw-ish parts in and out kind of songs, uh, a lot simpler and a lot more direct, kind of like Stopless was and Close Again on yep. Rocks on the Soul. Um, and some of her songs are like the best songs on the record for sure, like I really feel this is more of a Kelly album. And uh, her vocals sound great and the guitars, as we discussed, are super spontaneous and weird and all over the place, but very cool, yeah. With your writing, do you guys collaborate much or is it very much you bring in a song, she brings in a song? Uh, yeah, we collaborate quite a bit. Like for her songs, I'll generally try and help her. She's got this thing where she's um, such a from the gut songwriter that that's her total 100% drive throughout the song and I'm always the guy like technically analysing oh you could have a hook there and you know you could repeat that line and make it a hook or you could change that chord and you know, push the push the vibe up there and I'll I'll throw a few things like that at her yep. and she'll take maybe 50% of them you know what I mean <laughs> so and she probably uh, in an ideal world would pull me the other way like pull me away from being like the song should go like this, it should go like that. She'd probably, you know, give me a bit more, just let it do what it wants, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a favourite track off the album? I know it's not been released yet, but is there a, a favourite one for you? Um, the favourite one of mine is probably a song called Deirdre, a real short, punky one. And my favourite song, Kelly's, is actually a toss-up between this really mega long dirgy song she's got called Late to the Party with that goes two minutes before even the singing comes in. Or this other one called Break It Clean, which is a very simple, very plain uh, chord-wise song, but it, the hooks in it really work and it's got these kind of signature guitar lines through it and people really respond to that one actually and I kind of fall in love with it myself as well. Hmm. Um, what was it like working with Anna Laverty? Because a lot of people who may not be um, big into the nerdy kind of behind the scenes stuff mm -hmm. might have seen the, um, the series on the ABC, the recording studio, basically a show about how you put an, put an album together. Wow, okay. Um, and Anna was one of the, the engineers yeah. that they featured. So what was it like working with Anna? Well, it was actually awesome because on our last album, we didn't work with a producer as such. And so before that, the last record we worked with a producer would have been um, like 2003 for Take You Apart. So we kind of forgotten how it all works. And the producer's job is really to get the best takes out of the band as well as to oversee you know, the tempos and the sounds and do the engineering and stuff like that. 
so she was super casual and she kind of trusted us and we trusted her. And we had one Zoom meeting where we were in band practice before the thing. And it was terrible because she, as soon as we started playing, it was just, <laughs> she couldn't hear anything and we yep. couldn't hear her. Yep. <laughs> and it was kind of stupid, but she'd given us lots of feedback about the songs beforehand and we'd brush a few off the table and she said, oh, that song's good. And we highlighted them a bit more. And so she was awesome at keeping it all moving. She didn't sweat over stuff. Like, mm. you know, Dina do a drum take and she goes, okay, that's great, let's do the bass. And she wasn't someone who'd spend four hours going, oh, should that snare be a little, little earlier, a little later? None of that. So yeah, yeah. it kept us excited and happy. When I think about like engineering and, mm. and, and producing and stuff, it still seems kind of a bit blokey, like lots of, lots of, guys in that role mm -hmm. um one of my favorite producers is a is a lady called trina shoemaker who did oh, yeah, a lot of the something for kate yes. stuff yeah, um yeah. she's uh, american but um uh, is it different working with a, a female producer um say to a male producer uh do you think look in theory it shouldn't be but there is probably that small element like i was saying about me and kelly songwriting like the female thing is really more about intuition and feelings rather than technical because yeah. I guess Anna is someone who even though she's got all the technical knowledge in the world that's in there anyway she doesn't have to keep you know like bringing it to the front she can yeah. trust her own instincts and feelings about how a song should be on top of that which is yeah. perfect you know so less analytical I guess yeah, and that's really the job of the producer. Like, it's really, like, sure, engineering's a job where you've got to be technical, and in this case, she was the engineer as well. But the producer is someone who their role is to make the album something that people are going to enjoy listening to, and it means something, and the band's intention is, you know, tr uh, brought across well, and things like that. I guess it's been a pretty weird time for you know, musos over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, has it been good getting back onto stage in those sort of big festivals? Have been good? Um, those festivals are what I'd probably call medium size, which are perfect. Like, they're really nice. Like, if you play, um, say, a huge big day out or something, it's a very different sort of feel and vibe. But the Spring Loaders are awesome because... Uh, they're super friendly, everyone's there, they know exactly what they want and you can totally give it to them. So it's a bit of a no-brainer and um, yeah, great fun. And then what else is on the horizon? You've got the album launch coming up as well. Yeah, we've got a short tour in June. Um, at the moment it's only four gigs, it might expand a little, but um, yeah, so we'll go out on tour, we'll do a bunch of songs off the new record and about 50 million old songs and you know, really kill everyone with our music. <laughs> Well, look, really appreciate your time. One last question. Um, you know, what's touring like now that you're all a little bit older compared to, you know, 20 or 30 <laughs> years ago when you were maybe the uh, the foolishness of youth? Um, Honestly, it's changed barely any. <laughs> <laughs> really? You know, uh, the only real change is Kelly's hasn't drank for 10 years, so she's um, the sensible one in the group now. Um, as far as us, though, it's really like... We set up the merch stand ourselves. We run from the stage to the merch table at the end of the night and sell yeah. the merch. Yeah. We, we're like trying to remember to bring all our gear back to the hotel or the friend's place where we're staying. It's barely changed at all. Like we're not like some super slick kind of outfit, you know. Well, maybe that's the Brisbane thing. 
Um, it probably is a Brisbane thing combined with just an us thing because we're like yeah. super DIY. Super and there's stuff like, you know, we pull up at the airport and we all know what role we've got. Kelly's role is getting trolleys. My role is organising, taking the hire car back. Dean and Derek's role is to stand there just guarding the gear and you know, keeping it together. <laughs> so we've all got our little jobs and it's just always how it's been. Well, mate, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time out to have a chat to us. No really problem. appreciate Anytime. your time. Thank you so much. No worries. Well, I hope you enjoyed that special chat with Tim Stewart from the Brisbane band Screamfeeder. And we'll put all the links to Screamfeeder's socials, as well as links to where you can pre-order the new album Five Rooms and info on the tour. We'll put all those details in the show notes. This is Bluey's Brisbane. I slipped on my beat.